0: Indiana County 911. My brother's gone. Can you be a little more specific, sir? My brother. Who took him? I don't know what to talk
1: I don't know what to observe, sir. Maybe I'll take a breath and explain to me what happened. And I looked out and there was this big red blinking UFO. I can just
0: say this. Something's going on in the woods. Something's going on. They're not dogs. They're not coyotes. What could it be, right? I had an encounter with a skunk ape, and it completely altered the course of my life. I found this skull. I know you guys are going to want to come build this. Put them out. Put him out. Put em 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 out put I em just out. say, it. I just say.
1: Uh-huh. it. I see it. Sightings of a UFO hovering over a barn. <laughs> Millie woke up from a dream, and when I went into
2: the bedroom, she said, there's a monster on the wall. They saw that the creature had run through
1: a barbed wire fence that they were Able to obtain hairs, they sent the hairs to their lab, and it came back as an unknown creature. Bizarre encounters with Shane, and
0: What's up, my weird friends, and I mean that in a good way, of course. Welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet.
2: I'm Shane.
1: I'm Orin, and I'm Jenny. So we got some big
2: things going on this week here at uh, the Bazaar HQ. We're trying to get more involved with our Discord. Uh, So we're trying to grow that and kind of create a little community there for uh, people to share their thoughts and ideas and uh, just any bizarre encounters that you guys want to share with us. So, uh, like I said, we're trying to grow that. Um, We've got a few members now that are really getting engaged and Jenny's kind of taking the reins on that. Uh, Cause I don't quite understand all this newfangled <laughs> technology, but um, yeah, so that's kind of the big thing that's going on here. Shane, uh, you got anything to add to the whole uh, discord thing? So, um, I'm trying to revamp it a little bit, so I'm probably
0: going to be adding some more groups in there, maybe taking some away. Um, if anybody out there wants some stuff added to it and they got some suggestions, uh, I definitely want to hear it, of course. Um, of course, I'm the owner of the of the Discord, but I recently updated it now where Oren and Jenny are both admins, so they have full control over the group, too. So, if you guys you know pop in there, have any issues, you uh, want to make suggestions, you're always more than welcome to make the suggestions to them, also. And then uh, I recently had one of the awesome listeners that we have, uh, Brandy, um, who was basically mentioning that she wanted like a place to be able to like hang out and be able to be comfortable and all that. So that's part of the reason why we're kind of starting to boost up the Discord and do a little bit more with it. And in turn, she wants to be super helpful. Um, So I'm going to try to make her like a moderator uh, Give her some kind of like a Like a title with it because she's trying to be active In the group so of course you know We want to help people out who are helping us out So we're going to come up with some kind of title for you But essentially she's going to be a moderator in the group Too so if anybody uh, has any other Suggestions I guess too they can pass it Over to her In turn pass that um, we're doing the discord And then after that we're going to probably start trying to Boost up the telegram a little bit but uh, We want everybody to interact in there so Nobody feel like you shouldn't post anything. Nobody feel like, you know, you have to be uncomfortable in there. Just bounce in, have some fun, and, uh, you know, enjoy the Discord because that's what we're trying to do is collect all of our random awesome listeners that we have because we talk to each one of you individually, but everybody's kind of scattered. We're trying to get everybody all into one place so that all of you guys can interact with each other and make some friends. So the only way it's ever going to happen is with your guys' help. So anything you guys want to do, we definitely appreciate
2: And that's another good place that you guys can reach out to us and share anything that you want us to kind of delve into on the show, whether that be guests or topics or, you know, the normal stuff, anybody who wants to contribute in any way, uh, whether that be researchers or authors, artists, anything of that nature. And, uh, if you guys aren't
0: already, of course, go and uh, follow us on social media. And by social media, I'm in, I'm more so talking about Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I'm mo- the most active on Instagram. Everything kind of gets pushed off of the Instagram onto the Facebook. So that's kind of how that goes. So if anybody's trying to contact us, hang out with us, the Instagram is definitely the w- place to do so. And uh, we already talked about the Telegram and the Discord. So, of course, you know, pop into that too while you're at it. And uh, if you guys want to support the show... In different ways, of course. There's different ways to do so. Uh, number one, of course, is that you can go and check out the Open Minds Media merch store where you can go and get yourself some Bizarre Crew gear. Uh, hopefully, I'll be updating some more stuff on there. Uh, Orrin and Jenny actually had the wonderful idea of possibly making some t-shirts out of some of my daughter's artwork. And uh, she really drawing like little cryptid characters. They turn out pretty damn good. So I think I'm going to start doing that. So <laughs> if that's something that you guys want to see also, let us know. And uh, we'll definitely get that one going in the works, of course. And- And uh, if you guys want to get some more access to our content, um, early access to the shows, uh, you guys want to pop in and see live versions of the shows. And if you can't make it to that, of course, see live replays of the shows. You guys can go and check out the Open Minds Media Patreon. Uh, I call it the Open Minds Media Patreon because it's uh, not just Bizarre Encounters, but it's also Inquiries of Our Reality and uh, Bite Size Bizarre. It's pretty much anything that's under the Open Minds Media umbrella all gets incorporated into one Patreon to try to give you guys a little bit more bang for your buck because you're not just getting stuff for one show, you're getting stuff for uh, multiple shows, of course. And then if you guys want to donate to us directly, uh, you guys can do so through Red Circle, which is our RSS host. Um, down at the bottom of the show description, there should be a link that says something along the lines of donate on Red Circle. You guys can click that. And uh, hopefully there's some kind of option to give some kind of personalized message. But if not, please shoot us a message on uh, social media because I definitely want to give you guys a shout out if you guys donate anything to the show. And that's going to go towards us being able to vend events this coming year because we want to be able to get out and be able to see you guys. And in turn, in doing that, of course, we're going to have to get some some back stock of some shirts and everything so we got that ready for you guys. Uh, Make it so we have some gas money and stuff. But anything you guys donate towards the show, it's going to go towards us being able to get out there and really meet you guys. So it's definitely going to be beneficial on all ends. So anything you guys do, we definitely appreciate because at the root of it again, like even with the discord, we just want to be able to sit down and really get to know you guys. Cause we know there's a bunch of you out there. We don't have your faces. So we want to put some faces to some names so that we know who we're uh, out here preaching to. Like I see the numbers, but I don't see the faces. So show us some of your faces guys. And, uh, If you guys are also trying to support some other creators, I'm actually wearing one of the shirts today. Uh, the audio listeners, unfortunately, can't see it, but uh, I'm wearing my Wendigo Crypto Theology shirt. So if you guys are into stuff like that, I definitely highly recommend you go and check out Crypto Theology. Uh, one little shout out I have to give that I think is really super cool is, uh, you know, you guys know the like serial monsters like Count Chocula, all that. Uh, he recently dropped two more of those. So now there's five serial monster shirts and those are my personal favorites. So I think you guys might enjoy them. So definitely recommend uh, going and checking that out if you haven't already.
1: And everything that we've just talked about is in the link tree in the show notes. All right, Shane. So you were just talking about your
2: fancy Wendigo shirt that you're wearing today. That is kind of a hint to our listeners for what we've got on deck. This one I'm super excited for. Uh, why don't you jump in and tell the listeners what we got for them today? So
0: today, I um, for anybody that hasn't listened to a way earlier episode. I might do it again at some point, but essentially what I believe they kind of got me into like the whole cryptid community and stuff is that, uh, I believe I had a winnigo encounter. So I wanted to kind of be able to dive into that because what I saw wasn't the typical depiction of like what people assume that a winnigo looks like, you know, with a deer head, the big, the big body. So it inspired me to start digging deeper into native American like cannibalistic lore. And of course there's like the Wendigo. That's the main known one that kind of gets mixed up through time. Um, just, you know, word of mouth, different people putting their cultural backgrounds into it, stuff like that. Um, so again, I wanted to be able to really dive into it and figure out more about it. And in turn of doing that with the Wendigo stuff, I ended up figuring out about a bunch more of these, I guess you could say it's like an archetype native American cannibalistic creatures where, I purposely try to do this list where it's not something that eats people, but it's something that originally starts off as a person gets turned into a monster and then eats people. And there's this whole thing where there's like, you'll, you'll look up like Wendigo and there will be like 10 other names with it. And they make it sound like it's just different, like pronunciations of like the same thing. But when I started digging into those, I realized that A lot of those have different backgrounds, different parts that go into the story. So I've never really seen anybody really fully do it just. So I wanted to be able to kind of differentiate all of this Native American cannibalistic lore. So you guys really know what you're looking at, what the Native Americans were actually talking about versus like what popular culture has shown you guys today. And in turn of doing it, I feel like I've got some stuff on this list that just probably never seen the light of day. I had to dig pretty hard for it. And uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Um, this is one of my personal favorite things that I've put together. So without further ado, let's get into uh, Native American cannibalistic creatures or however you want to word that. But of course... The very first one we're going to start off with is the Wendigo. Got to start off with the heavy hitter because I know that's what you guys all came for. Got to spark your interest and then in turn, it'll keep your interest into all these other weird different ones that I get into. Um, so starting off with the Windigo. the Windigo is a cannibalistic spirit resembling a zombie. In some forms, the windigo is the size of a human, while in others, it can be 15 feet tall. The earliest depiction of the windigo was that of a similar appearance to a corpse. The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation; its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones, with its bones pushing out against the skin. Its complexion, the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into its sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean and suffering from separation of the flesh." The wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and composition, and of death and corruption. Their skin is resilient, and they can mimic voices almost perfectly. But they are ruthless and cunning, and will do anything to get its prey, except compromise its hidden nature. They were strongly associated with winter, the north, coldness, famine, and starvation. But the human it once was is still frozen inside the monster where its heart should be and must be killed to defeat the Wendigo. In a few legends, a human has been successfully rescued from the heart of the Wendigo, but usually once a person has been possessed by a Wendigo spirit, the only escape is death.
2: So Shane, the thing I think is like really interesting about uh, that first paragraph you read, obviously the big thing that jumped out at me is the uh, being able to mimic voices almost perfectly. And the uh, the eerie odor of decay, I mean, what does that sound like to us? I mean, all of our listeners, should know, those are Bigfoot things right there. Mm-hmm. You know, weird odor mimicking voices. So uh, I thought that was really cool when I came across that in your notes. So just something I wanted to throw in there real quick.
0: I was even thinking just like the whole idea of what people think a Wendigo is. But realistically, you start breaking it down. You realize that it's basically a depiction of like a overdrawn zombie. Like instead of just having like the normal limbs and everything, like it becomes a zombie, and then it becomes like lanky in the process, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, this seems like one of those instances where people think of a Wendigo, they think of like the cultural depiction. They don't think of like what the actual legend is. So, I think this is one that definitely bears a lot of fruit if you dig into it and see what the legends actually are and what was probably really going on when these people were reporting these things,
0: which of course we are going to dig into. And we are also going to dig into, um, why, you know, people think the, the reason why people have the idea of what it looks like now, of course, because if I, if I was doing this, I got to, of course include all different, uh, avenues on how we got to where we are currently with the whole like Wendigo lore. But most think Wendigo describes a lonely deer skull headed man beast who lives in the forest waiting to feast on human flesh. While others even say the Windigo is a cannibalistic spirit that possesses humans, all concepts originate from Native American folklore and have ties to cannibalism. In Ojibwa, Eastern Cree, West Main Swampy Cree, Nescapi, and Innu lore, Windigos are often described as giants that are many times larger than human beings, a characteristic absent from myths in other Algonquin cultures. Whenever a Wendigo ate another person, it would grow in proportion to the meal it had just eaten, so it could never be full. Therefore, Wendigos are portrayed as simultaneously gluttonous and extremely thin due to starvation. The Wendigo is seen as the embodiment of gluttony, greed, and excess. Never satisfied after killing and consuming one person, they are constantly searching for new victims.
2: Just a couple things to add real quick, if you don't mind me jumping in, um... The thing about them being giants many times larger than human beings, uh, Jenny actually was telling me about a uh, podcast she had listened to, and it was with a gentleman named Mark A. Carpenter, and he has a lot of theories about, like, Wendigos having a connection to, like, uh, giants and the Nephilim and even, like, Missing 411 type stuff. So uh, that was something I had never really heard of or associated with the whole Wendigo mythology, but I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, when she told me to listen to that, and then it you know, popped up in your notes. So uh, just a kind of crazy thought that I had never even considered. Are we
1: talking about the Hollow Earth stuff?
2: Oh, you can talk about whatever you want no, to do.
1: No, I can't remember <laughs> which crazy thought we were talking
2: about. No, the guy who was talking about the Nephilim Wendigo stuff? Yeah. And the giants?
1: I don't remember. You go.
2: Oh, no, that was all I wanted to all say. Right.
0: <laughs> well, just to make a comment on that, though, I mean, of course, like, a lot of this phenomenon, I feel like it could be tied to multiple things. It may not just be strictly coming from one place. So just to throw in another theory for it, too, um, one thing that may get confused as a Wendigo or might actually be possibly, like, the origin the origin of Wendigo before, like, people, you know, got incorporated with it and stuff. I mean, it still kind of fits the characteristics of possibly being, like, a starving giant.
2: Yeah. And the other thing I think is kind of cool is... I want. I wonder if it's like based off of something like Dogman type lore. I mean, because I think it's very possible that whatever the original creature or being that these wendigos, uh, these wendigo stories were based off of, was probably a real thing. And then, like you know, through the years, that kind of got twisted into. Um, almost like these cautionary tales of like, don't be, like you said, uh, the embodiment of gluttony, greed, and excess. So, I mean, you know, cautionary tales for when things like that or cannibalism was like a everyday part of life, you know? So I think just from the little bit of research I've done, I think it's very possible that this Wendigo idea is based off of something real and then was kind of, you know, spun into, like I said, cautionary tales for, these native American people.
0: I'm still fitting with a uh, possible starving giant sightings. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I, I like starving giants. Uh, we're putting that on high on the, uh, on the big board, I think.
0: Cause presumably, you know, a starving giant would pretty much go into berserker mode for the little bit of energy it has left. And if it's starving, it's going to look for any meal. And if it was one of these like cannibalistic tribe type of giants, uh, you know, the only source of its meal, of course, is going to be people. So, you know, if, if, People are avoiding these things, they're staying away from them, it gets lost in the woods, something like that, you know, it gets separated from its group and it's not able to find other human flesh to eat. Then it might get to a point where it's starving, you know, a Native American tribe saw a half dead starving giant at some point, and then they form this like whole base of lore around it. I mean, of course, I, you know, I hit it from the angle as we get farther in with the whole like cautionary tale aspect, but I still think there's some kind of root to it. Like you were kind of saying, but absolutely the whole actual giant link connected into it. I hadn't thought about before, but you know, as I'm kind of digging into this a little bit more, it's definitely something I, I consider to be a possibility.
2: No, and the more we talk about it and kind of, you know, brainstorm, I think that has a lot of validity and would kind of answer a lot of these questions.
0: I mean, it connects in with the whole red-haired tribe. Like, there's already a bunch of giant lore based with, like, the Native Americans all throughout mm-hmm. North America. So, I mean...
2: <laughs> yeah, and something else we are kind of digging into, um, I think there's a lot of Wendigo-type activity and reports in, like, the Hudson Valley area in New York, and, you know, there's all those reports of uh, like monolithic structures and, um, you know, ancient Sumerian. I don't think it's Sumerian, but some type of, you got it?
1: No, no. I was like, I made notes on this. I forgot I did. No, we're butchering this. I'm sorry. Okay. No, there's like this triangulation of Wendigo accounts, giant skeletons, and monolithic structures with Phoenician print on them. Um, in the, the Hudson Valley, right? In the in the Hudson Valley. No, when you said, remember what we were talking about? I was like, <laughs> what? I was like, yes, I made a whole page of notes on this. <laughs> so, and also, like, um, I have a note about Whitley Stryber. Yeah, because that uh, happened in the
2: Hudson Valley area okay, as okay. well. So,
1: but anyway, basically, the you know the tri- triangulation of those, all these things in the same area. Um, that's what that gentleman was talking about. And I was like, that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, that there's this kind of correlation between Wendigo tails and, you know, giant tails. Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I, I think you're onto something, Shane, for sure.
0: Just to throw in some other weird theories on this too, what if uh, Native Americans opened up some type of portal and what happened to be on the other side were these creatures, one, or two, connecting in with another experiment or weird conspiracy i guess um you know the whole concept of things going through portals and if it's not something that's like intended to go through a portal there's like some warping and some weirdness involved like the philadelphia experiment is like a prime example where people are like kind of like they became like part of like the wall like they kind of everything Mm -hmm. kind of fused together and became kind of weird so like what if theoretically like there were giants, like, I mean, as far as this community goes, it's pretty much undeniable proof that there was giant humans at one point. Uh, what if they figured out how to use portals, or at least open them and not use them properly, and that was the result of giants trying to use portals was that they'd come back all fucked up in the head and cannibalistic and just in berserker mode.
2: Yeah. Well, and whatever these giants are, wherever they came from, they probably would view us like We view animals, you know, so I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense that, you know, they just view us as a food source and are basically hunting us in the winter when times get tough. Exactly. (laughs) So uh, hopping back in here, a Wendigo does not lose the
0: human's power of cognition or speech and in some depictions may clearly communicate with its prospective victim or even threaten or taunt them. A specimen of folk story collected in the early 20th century by an ignographer of the Chippewas of Rama First Nation mentions that a wendigo also exhibits tool use, an ability to survive partial dismemberment and auto cannibalism.
2: And it reads. One time long ago, a big wendigo stole an Indian boy, but the boy was too thin so the wendigo didn't eat him up right away, but he traveled with the Indian boy, waiting for him till he'd get fat. The wendigo had a knife, and he cut the boy on the hand to see if he was fat enough to eat, but the boy didn't get fat. They traveled too much. One day they came to an Indian village, and the wendigo sent the boy to the Indian village to get some things for him to eat. He just gave the boy so much time to go there and back. The boy told the Indians that the wendigo was near them, and showed them his hand where the wendigo cut him to see if he was fat enough to eat. They heard the wendigo calling the boy. He said to the boy, hurry up, don't tell lies to those Indians. All of these Indians went to where the wendigo was and cut off his legs. They went back again to see if he was dead, but he wasn't. He was eating the juice or the marrow from the inside of the bones of his legs that were cut off. The Indians asked the Wendigo if there is any fat on them. He said, you bet there is. I have eaten lots of Indians. No wonder they are so fat. The Indians then killed him and cut him to pieces. And that was the end of this giant Wendigo.
0: Again, making more connections with even using that terminology in the original story of giant Wendigo. Because, I mean, even just just another theory to bounce into, uh, there could be a differentiation in Wendigos where maybe it's something that could potentially occur if you resort to cannibalism of your own race. And that could also include, like, if you're a giant and you cannibalize on other giants, then you become a giant Wendigo. If you're a human and you cannibalize on people, then you become a smaller version of a Wendigo. But it kind of incorporates, depending on, like, the size that you are when you cannibalize your own species.
2: Well, and that could kind of go back to uh, what you were saying at the beginning about they grow in proportion to the size of the meal they had. I mean, that could have been how these people correlated exactly what you were just saying.
0: Yeah. Cause they're just seeing a differentiation in size. And of course they're not sitting there more often than not, they're not sitting there and really having this like full on conversation besides in just a couple different folklore stories. So, you know, if they see a giant wendigo one time, they see a smaller one another time, they start seeing that there's a different size amongst these things. Then they can even start creating their own folklore about it. it's a matter of like how much they eat and they just keep growing in proportion.
2: Exactly. I mean, it's what we kind of always say. It's people trying to describe indescribable things with the best language they have. Or,
0: just to, you know, play devil's advocate, there isn't... I mean, it could still bounce in with, a like, you kind of start off with whatever size you are when you cannibalize your own thing. But, you know, taking it back to the lore, maybe they do grow no matter what they are. So, if you're a giant... And you become a Wendigo, then, you know, you're just going to become bigger and bigger. And if you're a human and you eat stuff and then you're just going to get bigger and bigger. And it's just that the starting point is different. Yeah, absolutely. So all cultures in which the Wendigo myth appear share the belief that human beings could turn into Wendigos if they ever resorted to cannibalism or alternatively became possessed by the demonic spirit of a Wendigo. Often in a dream. Once transformed, a person would become violent and obsessed with eating human flesh. The most frequent cause of transformation into a Wendigo was usually if a person resorted to cannibalism during times of starvation or extreme hardship or famine. Among northern Algonquin cultures, cannibalism, even to save one's own life, was viewed as a serious taboo. The proper response to famine was suicide or resignation to death. On one level, the Wendigo myths thus worked as a deterrent and a warning against resorting to cannibalism. Those who did would become Wendigo monsters themselves. One of the most widely reported cases of a Wendigo spirit possessing a human is that of Swift Runner. And of course, uh, we're going to dig into this later on. It might be in episode three, but we're just going to touch base a little bit on it now, and then we'll, we'll get a little bit deeper farther on into the series. Um, a Native American who murdered and ate his entire family in the winter of 1879. He claimed to be possessed by a Wendigo spirit at the time of the murders and was hanged for his crime. Although this case is one of the most well-known historically, there are many reports in the early 20th century of Wendigo spirits possessing people in dozens of communities from northern Quebec to the Rockies. Among the Assiniboine, the Cree, and the Ojibwa, a satirical ceremony dance is sometimes performed during times of famine to reinforce the seriousness of the Wendigo taboo. The ceremony, known as... All right, I'm just going to make my best attempt at this word because I couldn't find an actual pronunciation of it on Google. But first, before I attempt to pronounce it, I'll first spell it for you guys. So if anybody wants to look this up and see that it's an impossible thing to find the internet, (laughs) W-I-I-N-D-I-G-O-O-K-A-A-N-Z-H-I-M-O-W-I-N. All right, now for my Wendigo
2: attempt.
0: <laughs> it's pretty much. Windigo Kazemoan. Yeah, honestly, that's probably how it's pronounced because I can't think of it being pronounced any other way. So we're just going to go with that. <laughs> was performed during times of famine and involved wearing masks and dancing backwards around a drum. The last known Windigo ceremony conducted in the United States was at Lake Windigo of Star Island of Cass Lake within the Leech Lake Indian Reservation in northern Minnesota. The following is an adaptation of an original Gonquin myth of the Wendigo.
2: The storm lasted so long that they thought they would starve. Finally, when the wind and swirling snow had died away to just a memory, the father, who was a brave warrior, ventured outside. The next storm was already on the horizon, but if food was not found soon, the family would starve. Keeping his knife and spear close, he ventured out upon the most frequently used game trail, watching intently for some sign in the newly fallen snow of animal footprints or any kind of movement. The forest lay deep and oddly silent under its gleaming coat of ice and snow. Every creature of sense lay deep within its burrow and slept, still the warrior hunted, knowing how desperate his family had become. As he moved through the eerie stillness, broken only by the soft caresses of the wind. That sounds sexy. (laughs) He heard a strange hissing noise. It came from everywhere and nowhere at once. The warrior stopped, his heart pounding. That was when he saw the blood-soaked footprints appearing on the path in front of him. He gripped his knife tightly, knowing that somewhere watching him was a wendigo. He had learned about the wendigo at his father's knee. It was a large creature, as tall as a tree. With a lipless mouth and jagged teeth its breath was a strange hiss its footprints full of blood and it ate any man woman or child who ventured into its territory and those were the lucky ones sometimes the wendigo chose to possess a person instead and then the luckless individual became a wendigo themselves hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh the warrior knew he would have just one chance to prevail over the wendigo After that, he would die. Or, that thought was just too terrible to comprehend. Slowly, he backed away from the bloody footprints, listening to the hissing sound. Was it stronger in one direction? He gripped spear in one hand, knife in the other. Then the snowbank to his left erupted as a creature as tall as a tree leapt out at him. He dove to one side, rolling into the snow so that his clothing was covered, and he became hard to see in the gray twilight of the approaching storm. The wendigo whirled its massive frame and the warrior threw the spear. It struck the creature's chest, but the wendigo just shook it off as if it were a toy. The warrior crouched behind a small tree as the creature searched the torn up snow for a trace of him. Perhaps one more chance. The wendigo loomed over his hiding place, its sharp eyes seeing the outline of him against the tree. It bent down, long arms reaching. The warrior leapt forward as if to embrace the creature, and thrust his knife into the fathomless black eye. The wendigo howled in pain as the blade of the knife sliced into its brain cavity. It tried to pull him off its chest, but the warrior clung to the creature, stabbing it again and again in the eyes and the head. The wendigo collapsed to the ground, bleeding profusely, almost crushing the warrior beneath its bulk. He pulled himself loose and stared at the creature, which blended in with its white surroundings so well that we would not have seen it, save for the blood pouring from its eyes and ears and scalp. Then the outline of the creature grew misty and it vanished, leaving only a pool of blood to indicate where it had fallen. Shaken, the warrior heart pounding with fear and fatigue turned for home. He was weakened by lack of food, but he knew that the storm would break soon and he would die if he did not seek shelter. At the edge of the wood, he found himself face to face with a red fox. It was a fat old creature, its muzzle lined with gray. The creature stood still, as if it had been brought to him as a reward for killing the wendigo. With a prayer of thanksgiving, the warrior killed the fox and took it home to his starving family. The meat lasted for many days until the final storm had blown itself out and the warrior could safely hunt once more.
0: So uh, after covering all of the kind of background of like the Native American lore pertaining to Wendigos, because I tried to keep it as close to the Native American lore as I could as far as this research goes and tried not to deter into other people's theories, all that kind of stuff really yet. Um, of course, we'll cover that on, kind on the back half, but I just want to cover it first from the base of Native American folklore. So now kind of moving on, uh, like I mentioned earlier, talking about the whole like idea of what popular culture thinks a Wendigo looks like. Um, I felt that it was necessary to include a in pop culture section as far as, uh, the Wendigo goes. So without further ado, Jenny, why don't you uh, let them know a little bit about the popular culture of the Wendigo.
1: Although distinct from how it appears in the traditional lore, One of the first appearances of a character inspired by or named after a Wendigo in non-Indigenous literature is Algernon Blackwood's 1910 novella, The Wendigo. Jonas Nazare wrote that Blackwood's subtly demonizing rhetoric transforms the Wendigo from native myth into a descriptive template for the Indian savage. Blackwood's work has influenced many of the subsequent portrayals in mainstream horror fiction, such as August DeLure's The Thing That Walked on the Wind and Ithaca, which in turn inspired the character in Stephen King's novel Pet Cemetery, where it is the personification of evil, an ugly grinning creature with yellow-gray eyes, ears replaced by ram's horns, white vapor coming from its nostrils, and a pointing a pointed, decaying, yellow tongue. These works set the template for later portrayals in popular culture, at times even replacing the Native American lore. In an early short story by Thomas Pynchon, Mortality and Mercy in Vienna, first published in 1959, the plot centers around a character developing Wendigo syndrome and going on a killing spree. In 1973, a creature inspired by the Wendigo appeared in American comic books published by Marvel Comics. Created by the writer Stephen Inglehart and the artist Herb Tron, the monster is a result of the curse that afflicts those who commit acts of cannibalism. It first appeared in The Incredible Hulk, number 162, in April of 1973, and again in October 1974, issue. Contemporary indigenous works that explore the legend include the 1995 novel, Solar Storms, by author and poet, Linda K. Hogan, Chickasaw, which explores the stories of the wendigo and incorporates creatures as a device to interrogate issues of independence, spirituality, politics, and an individual's relationship of family. And as a metaphor for corporate, ferocity, exploitation, and power, all viewed as a form of cannibalism. Wrist, the two did I say it wrong? Wrist. Wrist? Or, like uh terror wrist? Yeah. oh that's good. Okay. Wrist, the 2016 debut novel by First Nations horror fiction writer Nathan Nigan, Noodlin Adler combines the traditional Ojibwe legend with the author's ideas inspired by non-indigenous writers like Anne Rice and Tim Powers. Other creatures based on the legend are named for it, appear in various films and television shows, including Dark Was the Night, Ravenous, The Lone Ranger in 2013, and the 2021 films Antlers by Scott Cooper, where the Wendigo is portrayed as a deer-like creature with a glowing heart that moves from person to person and and never-ending hunger. Guillermo del Toro, producer of the film, developed the Wendigo on the basis that the more the creature eats, the more it gets hungry, and the more it gets hungry, the weaker it becomes. In the 2021 film, The Inhuman, the arrival of the Wendigo symbolizes inner tum- turmoil after a character turns his back on his indigenous heritage in the pursuit of material. Material success. Television series employing the figure include Teen Wolf, Supernatural, Blood Ties, Charmed, Grim, and Hannibal, where an FBI officer has reoccurring dreams or visions of a Wendigo that symbolizes the cannibalistic serial killer. Various characters inspired by the legend are named for appear in role-playing video games such as 2018's Fallout 76, by Bethesda Game Studios, where Wendigos are featured as one of the cryptid enemies found in the area of Appalachia, mutated from people who consume human flesh in isolation. In the 2018 first shooter video game Dusk, Wendigos are enemies that remain invisible until they receive damage. Some of these creatures also appear in the game's cover art
2: you wanted to talk about some other things in this section, didn't you?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Here you go, Shane. All right. So here's your spoiler alert if you haven't watched um, Yellow Jackets and want to watch it. But this is um, this show's current. This show's on right now. And the things we've read, there's been several things that are mentioned in the show already. Um, yet again, spoiler warning. The show's about cannibalism
2: and well kind of a little bit more background it's about like a girls high school soccer team that gets stranded in the wilderness when their plane crashes
1: um in Quebec.
2: yeah somewhere yeah somewhere in uh the upper united states lower canada we don't really know but there's a ton of wendigo kind of imagery and ideas and like even the teasers have like uh you know characters with wearing like antler masks and stuff. And as we went through the notes, there's a whole lot of stuff in the show that I didn't even realize were like Wendigo things.
1: Well, the ceremony that Wendigo, we brought that we can't figure out how to jump <laughs> drop
2: drop a, drop a jaw. Wendigo.
0: Drop a,
1: drop a, drop a <laughs> Perfect. Um, they actually perform the ceremony ceremony on the show. Uh, there was a part in here. I think it was the story where the Fox lay down and, lie down and let him kill him so that they could eat a variation of that happens in the story so um somebody's
0: doing their homework as far as writing on that show goes
1: <laughs> no so uh she had watched it when
2: it the first season came out whatever year or two yeah. ago I don't know when the first season came out because like the second season's going on now. But she showed me like one episode, and I was just kind of joking around like five minutes in. I was like, oh, I know a Wendigo when I see one. Like, <laughs> the more we got watching, I was like, man, babe, I think that's what's going on here.
1: Yeah, so. and boy, did we get that in season two. That's so was bit confirmed.
2: Yeah, so all you listeners out there, if you have not checked out the show, if you're uh, listening to this show, you would probably definitely enjoy Yellow
1: Jackets. It's weird and bizarre. Bizarre and, and fun, and I'm pimping it out hard on the Discord. Yeah, so. there you go.
0: Just to throw another one in there too, if you got, anybody hasn't seen Antlers, the other movie that we mentioned in this, uh, really good movie. It's on uh, Hulu. Um, it kind of deters a bit from the folklore at certain points, but for the most part, like it's it's pretty it's pretty good movie. Um, it's just you know, as far as I feel like a movie goes, and how it's kind of differentiated from, like, the original image of it. I feel like they kind of did it, one, for the sake of it just has a more defining image, so people aren't, like, confusing it as, like, a zombie or something like that. So they just wanted something more substantial. And then going back to the whole, like, white culture coming into Native American culture thing, um, of course, they try to demonize their culture as much as possible, like they're mentioning with the whole, like, savage concept. So, of course, like the white person coming into the native American aspect of things views them as like primitive. So of course they're going to associate them with like pagan type things, such as like the antlers, um, the skulls. And again, it's, it's, I feel kind of like a intended originally to almost be like a derogatory thing to just show that they thought native Americans were savages. So in turn, they wanted to make all of their creatures and folklore and stuff as savage as possible. And in turn, you know coming from like a christian background you look at something that has antlers or horns you're going to assume instantly is take it as like a demon so i feel like part of the reason why that kind of got associated with it was because of people who had a christian background writing about this dark creature from native american folklore and in their mind one of the things that personifies evil i feel is like horns or antlers so they want to add it to that so that they're Listener, reader, whatever um so instantly associates this thing with like a biblical christian like demon i that's that's kind of like how my take on it and kind of how do I feel about it
2: I think you could almost even go a step further and say, you know the whole horn wild man of the woods idea that's got like very like kind of pagan pan earth spirit type connotations as well
0: yeah, exactly, trying to demonize anything that came from Cherokee belief, because when they're coming in with like that Christian mentality, um, of course they wanted to wipe out any other religions or belief systems in the area. And one of their main things, of course, they are attacking was any like earth religions, mm-hmm. like uh, pagan religions, however you want to view it or however you want to word it. So of course the first thing they're going to do is start taking their folklore stories and combining it with Christian background to it. So that somebody from a Christian perspective is going to look at this stuff and instantly go demons, uh, pagans, Elementals, like all of that stuff. They're intentionally trying to push it into the far out so that they associate it with like demonic ideas. But uh, bouncing back into it, this is one of the ones that I found completely interesting off the aspect of. I early, mentioned earlier in the show that if you look up Wendigo, that comes with like 10 different like name variations that are associated with it. And they kind of make you think that it's just different pronunciations, different ideas of the same word of, of the same creature. But when I started digging into it, I realized that one of the first ones, which is the Wechuge, um, actually, it has a lot of similarities, but there are some very defining differences. So I think that they could possibly be two ideas of the same creature, yes. But... Like the construct, the archetype, uh, archetype of the creature itself, is different. So it kind of makes me wonder if it, if if it's one of those things that all tribes kind of had this like uniform idea at the same time that it all kind of fit the group and they all kind of came at it from different perspectives, or if there's different phenomenon happening, or if there's multiple ways to potentially become an indigo a windigo, and there's different mentalities of a windigo, of course. Um, but that, that's kind of like the hard split is that I can't tell if it's a different creature because, it, again, it has a lot of differences, or if it's a different perspective of the same creature. But I guess I'll kind of let you guys, since you guys haven't dug too much into this one yet, and the listeners, of course, kind of decide for yourselves what you guys think of the Wachuge. The Wachuge is a man eating creature or evil spirit appearing in legends of the Athabascan people. Not much is known about them other than their similarities to the Wendigo and their capabilities. It is described as becoming overpowered instead of never getting full like the Wendigo. According to the Anthabascan stories, the creature was formed from glacial ice and brought to life. Its heart is frozen and thus unfeeling. In Danza mythology, it is said to be a person who has been possessed or overwhelmed by the power of one of the ancient giant spirit animals, related to becoming too strong. These giant animals were crafty, intelligent, powerful, and somehow retained their power despite being transformed into the normal-sized animals of the present day. When a wendigo or wachuge feeds on one of these victims, the victim becomes another wendigo or wachuge. The creature's desire for human flesh is supposedly so strong that they are nearly insatiable. They are constantly prowling the forest where they live, looking for hapless humans to devour. In this manner, stories of the Wendigo and Wachuge serve as cautionary tales warning people against wandering the woods alone. According to some anthropologists, they may have also been used as a warning against resorting to cannibalism during the harsh winter months, just like, you know, of course, the Wendigo. Still, other historians view stories of the Wendigo and Wachuge through an allegorical lens. To them... Tales of the Wendigo and Wachuge caution against excess greed and desire. Professor Robin Ridgington came across stories of the Wachuge while speaking with the Danza of the Peace River region in northern Canada. The Danza believed that one could become Wachuge by breaking a taboo and becoming too strong. Examples of the taboos included a person having a photo taken with a flash, listening to music made with a stretched string or hide, such as a guitar, or eating meat with fly eggs in it. Like the Wendigo, the Wachuge seems to eat people, attempting to lure them away from their fellow companions by cunning. In one folklore tale, it is made of ice and very strong, and is only killed by being thrown on a campfire and kept there overnight until it is melted. Being a Wachuge is considered a curse and a punishment, as they are destructive and cannibalistic creatures, of course. It's also said that the wachuge is a spirit of vengeance. When a weak person becomes strong and uses his strength to pick on the weak, they become susceptible to the wachuge. This will turn them into a creature who lives for humiliation. They look to kill people in humiliating ways, like mocking them with their staticky voices or using their claws to mark the body. Wachuge have weak skin but heal quickly. They will also eat a portion of their victims as a sign of dominance but their host can also be persuaded. When a wendigo takes over, it can control the victim in whole, but when a wachuge takes over, the host must still be reasoned with, though it's not likely they'll listen. Unfortunately, the descriptions of wachuge vary a lot. The way they look can vary from being half-human, half-animal creatures with a deer skull, goatlet, and goat legs to being made of ice, or even having wings, as said in the original Native American Legends.
2: Having goat legs, that kind of gets back to the the pan idea we were just talking about a little bit ago. Right. But, uh, no, so kind of my working theory on all this, and obviously I haven't done all the work that you have, but I kind of think this might be one of those situations where you know we're all describing the same thing like where one person's werewolf is another person's dog man is another person's skinwalker i think you know all these native american legends of these different creatures could very well be based off of the same thing and you know like we talk about the the game of telephone throughout the years they just all have their subtle twists or variations or nomenclature for them but i kind of I'm leaning towards at the end of the day they're kind of all talking about the same general thing or idea.
0: Just to play a devil's advocate, like from the Wendigo, I kind of get that like a uh, like angry like particular spirit. I don't, I don't know how exactly word I'm trying to describe here, but it's something that takes over somebody almost like a for lack of a better term like a, like a demonic spirit almost, right? And then when it comes to the Wetchuge, at least for me I kind of get more of like a like an elemental kind of feel to it. Like uh like they pretend like they essentially like take somebody over for being too too much, I guess you could say, you know, like if, if somebody starts thinking that they're going to be strong, they're going to be this, they're going to be that. And they think that they're like hot shit, then they're going to disrespect things around them, of course. So in turn by that, if you're somebody that thinks you're too strong and that you're hot shit, you're going to go through nature without that sense of respect because you think that, uh, pretty much you could take on anything. So at least from this, I almost kind of get that interpretation of an elemental kind of being like, all right, you think you're so tough. Let's see how you feel when I'm a Trying to take over your body from the inside, especially considering that the internal struggle with this one seems different than the last one, um, maybe the result is the same. But the creature that kind of gets entangled with the person or the spirit is a different, different type of spirit, if that makes sense. But same result, different spirit, resulting to that result.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's definitely a possibility. Uh, you know, the whole elemental idea. I think between that and the whole Giants thing, I think we're kind of kind of on the right track. Um, not that I think this has really anything to do with it, but something I did think was kind of interesting. You know, these things are supposed to be very tall, very pale, kind of gaunt looking. Uh, when we talk about staticky voices, what does all that kind of sound like? Kind of like some depictions of Men in Black. So not that I think the Men in Black really have anything to do with the Wendigo. It's just uh, kind of set off little alarm bells in my head so
0: I mean even bouncing off of that too we talk about this whole thing about like actual sasquatch and then something trying to mimic a sasquatch right i mean assumably there could be the same for these creatures where there's the wendigo which is you know the original spirit and then there's the wachugay which might be something that's trying to mimic being a Wendigo. And again, even just like the possession type is different. So again, I kind of get that energy that it's like a different spirit trying to do the same thing almost, you know? Like even kind of differentiating. Maybe it's not that a spirit takes over and then it has the same result, but there's the original and then there's this one that's trying to kind of fill that niche for the sake of not being figured out, which again could even kind of go back to this whole idea about there could be an original for a lot of these things and then all of these weird different side variations of things could almost be like tricksters imitating
2: the actual thing the mask that they wear to deceive us almost
0: because mm-hmm. again like even just like the method on how they become it um is drastically different that's kind of like where my mind tears from it where either one again it's two methods of becoming the same thing or it's two different two different things. And if you're doing something that results in you becoming something, it's almost like you're like summoning something into fruition. So if you, again, do two different things, then you could be summoning a different, a different spirit or a different being. And they're just getting confused as the same thing. Or, you know, the other one is more so doing it to teach you a lesson about being, thinking that you're thinking that you better than what you are realistically. Like, I almost yeah. kind of get that the first one is kind of just malicious and angry and just like, fuck you to everything, and that the second one is almost, the wachuge is almost like intentionally trying to teach somebody a lesson.
2: Yeah, it seems like a lot of this kind of boils down to cautionary tales to me. Well, did you have anything you wanted well, to
1: add? I was, uh, so I'm just now learning about the Nephilim, the, the giants, so I don't know a lot about it, but... I feel like in this podcast, this fellow was talking about how there there were different kinds of nephilim. Like some were more pure. malevolent, like some were more pure. Like there there was something about Watcher's blood or something. I can't remember what it what he had said, but um, Watcher genetics. That's what it was, and I don't know what that is, but that could probably you know maybe that's the Wendigo comes from something different from this, what the, 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 what you gave came from.
0: Exactly. That's, That's kind of where I'm at with it. And, uh, with that to all the listeners out there, um, this is unfortunately where we're going to leave you with this part today, but, we will be back next week with some more diving into these Native American cannibalistic creatures. And uh, they're going to be something totally different than Wendigo and Machuge. So uh, if you guys are interested in hearing about some creatures that you possibly have never heard of, I uh, definitely recommend tuning in next week for that. And then those will probably be a three-part series if I had to assume. So if that is how it's going to play out, then the third part will touch base on some more, a couple more creatures. And then we'll kind of wrap with a... kind of like theories and thoughts on things. And then we'll kind of dig into Wendigo psychosis. We'll dig more into uh, the guy that we are talking about that claimed that he was possessed by a native American, or the guy who claimed that he was possessed by a Wendigo and ended up resulting in eating his family. Um, Swift runner. Swift runner, exactly. But we we got a lot of good stuff for you. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this part. And uh, if you did, make sure that you guys bounce back for uh, the second two parts. And uh, if you guys enjoyed this episode, of course, don't forget to uh, take an extra five seconds on Spotify to drop a rating. And uh, if you guys are are oh so inclined, of course, go over to iTunes and spend 30 seconds and type us out a nice five-star review, hopefully, and uh, we'll read it out on the show and give you guys a shout out, of course.
2: And if anybody wants to reach out to us either on social media or through email, that's uh a Bizarre Encounters at Outlook.com. Any suggestions for guests, topics, or any other contributions people want to make to the show, we're always happy to hear that. And there is also a uh, submission form on the link tree.
0: And I always like to mention and throw in that because of how many links I send out for the show, it thinks that we're like spam or some shit. So make sure you check your spam or junk folders and make sure reply doesn't get lost because I do respond to everything. But uh, it's kind of like a Catch-22 that when you're a podcaster, you have to send out a bunch of emails with links, but when you send out emails with links, they think you're a spammer. So, it's, a, it's, it's been fun.
1: <laughs> okay, and you guys know how the internet works. Everything is in the link tree.
0: And with that, I've been Shane. I've been Orn.
1: And I've been Jenny.
0: We're the Bizarre Crew, and uh, don't forget to keep it bizarre out there.
1: Bizarre.
0: Bizarre.
2: Bizarre. bizarre. Bizarre? <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs>